If you have your Bibles, please open them to the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, We will be primarily, uh, as you would expect, in the last bit of chapter 16, um, and we will work all the way through chapter 18. As we work through Moses' explanation of the Ten Commandments, the commandment that we have come to today is the Fifth Commandment. Um, If you've never read the Babylon Bee, uh, it is a is a very funny satirical website about Christian things, and uh, they've got many wonderful articles. They're not very informative. They're only there for humor, uh, but it's satirical, and it's very well done. And, and recently, they put out something about a life verse, and they said, we can help you find your life verse. You just have to answer these questions. And the questions were like, were you introverted or extroverted? And what's your favorite color? And out of these next 13 numbers, which one do you feel most like clicking on now? And you do it, and they spit out some random verse from the Bible, Numbers 2342 or something like that. And it's completely meaningless as are most life verses for people. Um, but I have met numerous people who have life verses that don't even know it. People who have no connection with Scripture, who wouldn't know Abraham from Absalom, know one verse very important to them, especially if they have children, and that is, you are to honor your mother and your father. Right? And it does depend how they put it on whether they're a mother or a father. If they're a mother, Somehow, mother always comes first. So you are to honor your mother and your father. If you're a dad, the father thing comes first. And you say, ah, you've got to honor your father and your mother. Well, today we are talking about that verse. We are going to talk about what it means to honor your father and your mother. This comes from Deuteronomy 5.16, as Moses relates to them the fifth of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is the fifth of the Ten Commandments. Now, as we've gone through these, we've tried to make very clear connections between the text in Deuteronomy that we have, that we think is an explanation of those commandments, and the commandments themselves. And so we've seen, for instance, in the talking of the second commandment, where you're not to make any graven image. Immediately, While he could have mentioned it earlier, Moses puts off mentioning the image of the golden calf. He mentions that God is fire, that he isn't an image that's representable by stone. He mentions that they are hard and stiff-necked for the first time. We, We read that when he says, you are not to take the name of the Lord in vain, all of a sudden in chapter 12, up pops these repetitious, repetitious mentionings of God's name and where he will place his name. He, he mentions the Sabbath, and then all of a sudden we have all of these sevens coming out, that six days you will do this and seven you will do this. There's the Feast of Weeks, which is clearly representing seven, and you are to wait seven weeks to celebrate that. So there's all these textual indications that we're on the right track. And then we come to the fifth commandment, and we open our Bibles to Deuteronomy 16:18, and we read... And we find nothing about moms, and we find nothing about dads. And we find nothing about parents, we find nothing about families, we find none of it. And the question becomes, how does this have anything to do with parents? How does it have anything to do with honoring father and honoring mother? Well, there's a couple things I have to say about that before we begin. One of which is, even if it doesn't mention it, The scheme still works because what is the next commandment after this? It's always worked so far. The next commandment after the fifth one is do not murder. And if you flip over to chapter 19, immediately you get laws concerning refuge, city of refuge for people who have committed manslaughter. You have the topic of warfare coming up. All of it surrounds murder, which means all of the circumstantial evidence points at this 
being Moses' explanation of what it means to honor your father and your mother. More circumstantial evidence comes from a Presbyterian confession of faith. We as Baptists have multitudinous confessions of faith, but probably the best catechism, best known catechism is the Westminster Larger Catechism. And when they talk about the commandment to honor your father and your mother, they don't talk about it in terms of just mom and dad. They talk about it in terms of all authority. It's all authority. John Frame, who is an excellent theologian, when he writes in the life of uh, the doctrine of the Christian life, when he writes about this commandment, he doesn't write about it in terms of honoring your mother and father. He writes about it as t- in terms of honoring all authority. The commandment to honor your mother and father is narrow, but it clearly includes honoring all those who have been placed in authority above you. There's a number of ways to point this out besides quoting from Presbyterians, which we don't do all that often. For instance, if you trace throughout Scripture numerous times, people who are in authority, people who have clout, people who have been provided with authority by God are oftentimes called mother and father. For instance, Deborah in Judges 5, after she has made the people of Israel rebel against Jabin and Sisera, she is in that famous song in Judges 5 called A Mother Arose in Israel. It was Deborah as a mother who arose. Military rulers in Israel are often called fathers. Second Kings 5.13 talks of them this way. The wisdom literature is filled with father words of advice. He is literally writing to his son, but he is also writing to us. We are his children. Son, if you would listen to my words, you would be wise. Not only does Psalm 34.11 talk like this, but the entire book of Proverbs kind of sounds like this when you read it. And certainly church leaders talk like this all the time. Paul was very fond of calling himself a father. He says, you've got many guides in Christ in 1 Corinthians 4, but I became your father. I am one of the few fathers in the faith that you have. He talks like this in Galatians 4, where he actually makes himself out to be a mom to them, um, which is explainable in Galatians, although it sounds weird here. He talks to Timothy and Titus, although he was their father in the Lord, although he is clearly not their physical father. Even the book of Malachi, in Malachi 1.6, God, at the very last book of the Old Testament, shows up and he is talking to his people about how they are bringing worthless sacrifices and worthless offerings to him. And instead of going to the first commandment, which he clearly could do, he could have gone to the first commandment and said, you know, you're bringing these limpy calves and, and it's dishonoring to me and you are to love me with all your heart, mind, body, and soul because that's the first commandment. But instead, what does he do? He says this in Malachi 1.6, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord, Lord of hosts to you? O priests who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? The point there is, God could have gone to the first commandment to talk about how he is to be honored, but he doesn't. He goes to the fifth commandment because he is God the Father. Everywhere we turn, the leaders are upheld as moms and dads just because that metaphor fits. It works. The second question that clearly hits us from this is then, if, if it's really about authorities, why do the Ten Commandments, the most important, most basic understanding of the law, make it so narrow? Why doesn't it say you are to honor all authorities? Why does it specify father and mother? I think it's fairly obvious. It is the most immediate and important set of people who are in authority over you. 
it is clear that they are the most central of all of society. Now, there are going to be, as we go through this, there's, I'm going to make generalizations, and there's always going to be exclusions to what I say, but generally speaking, if you find someone who appreciates and honors authority in the world, you will find someone who honors their mother and father. And generally speaking, if you find someone who dishonors authorities in the world consistently and constantly in their lives, you will find someone who dishonors their mother and father. Likewise, somebody who honors their mother and father is more likely to honor the rest of the authorities that God has placed in their lives. And one who dishonors them is certainly, if you dishonor your dad, if you dishonor your mom, you are going to be the kind of person who's going to dishonor presidents and legislatures and police officers as well. So while God wants all authorities to be honored, he specifically points out fathers and mothers for that reason. We are to be people who honor authorities, and therefore we are to be people who are, number one, submissive to authorities. We need to be submissive to authorities. We read this in the book of Deuteronomy. We'll begin reading in verse 18 of chapter 16. You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. You shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice, and only justice, you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land the Lord your God is giving to you. You shall not plant any tree as an Asherah besides the altar of the Lord your God that you shall make, And you shall not set up a pillar which the Lord your God hates. You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep in which there is a blemish or any defect whatever, for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. If there is found among you within any of your towns that the Lord your God is giving you a man or a woman who does what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God in transgressing his covenant and has gone and served other gods and worshipped them or the sun or the moon or any of the host of heaven, which I... Have forbidden, and it is told you, and you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently. And if it is true and certain that such an abomination has been done in Israel, then you shall bring out to your gates that man or woman who has done this evil thing, and you shall stone that man or woman to death with stones. On the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. The hand of the witnesses shall be the first to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. So shall you purge the evil from your midst. If any case arises requiring decision between one kind of homicide and another, between one kind of legal right and another, or of one kind of assault and another, any case within your towns that is too difficult for you, then you shall arise and go to the place that the Lord your God will choose. And you shall come to the Levitical priests and to the judge who is in the office in those days. And you shall consult them, and they shall declare to you the decision. Then you shall do according to what they declare to you from that place that the Lord will choose. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they direct you, according to the instructions that they give you, and according to the decision which they pronounce to you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside from the verdict that they declare to you, either to the right hand or to the left. The man who acts presumptuously by not obeying the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God or the judge, that man shall die. You shall purge the evil from Israel, and all the people shall hear and fear and not act presumptuously again. 
it is interesting how this particular passage is laid out. Beginning in chapter 16, he says, you are going to appoint judges, and those judges have to do and act according to justice. They can't pervert justice by their own desires. And then he totally leaves the idea of judges and justice, and he goes in verses 2 through 7 to a situation that he's already covered. So if you go back and you read through the beginning of chapter 13, it sounds like God has already covered this. Remember that chapter where he says, there can be people who will perform miracles and there will be people who practice divination and they will speak to you, they'll do a miracle and they will, they will actually perform it and they'll say, hey, let's go worship somebody else. And then later down in 13, he says, so what if your brother comes to you or your best friend or somebody who you cherish very much and they whisper in your ear, let's go worship other gods. God says, you're going to take them after they're done whispering in your ear and you're going to take them outside and you're going to stone them. That is the exact same situation that you have at the beginning of chapter 17. That is, it's the word that God has already spoken to you. He has already told you to do this. It is important then that directly on the trail of that, after he gets done reaffirming what he's already said, this is my word to you, he then turns around and he says, and the judges, by the way, When they pronounce a verdict, you are to listen to them in the exact same manner. He goes so far in verse 10 to say, You shall be careful to do according to all that they direct you. You shall not turn from the right or to the left. And he talks about them at the end of verse 20 in in chapter 16, that you will inherit the the land the Lord your God is giving to you, so you can go in and you can possess it. Compare that to Deuteronomy 5.32. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. In other words, listening to the voice of the judge is listening to the voice of God. And therefore, if you are going to understand how it is that man has been made authoritative over other men, you need to understand that that comes from God. That disobeying authorities, not being submissive to authorities, is being disobedient to God. To disobey is a very dangerous, dangerous thing. Even in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul speaks like this as a father. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk, and I <clears throat> will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or with a love in the spirit of gentleness? That is, Dad saying, "Should I come with a switch, kids? Get it fixed." He's coming as a father comes. He is coming in the authority of God. He is speaking for God the same way the judges spoke for God then. We are to be submissive to authorities. But we are also to be humble in authority. We are also to be humble 
in authority. Chapter 17 goes on and it says this, When you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. He must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall not ever return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. And as you're going to appoint a king, but you are never to think, and that king is never to think, that he is somehow above you. The whole point within the Bible of appointing authorities is not to lord it over them. Jesus looks at his disciples when they want to know who is going to be the greatest, and he says, you know, the the Gentiles love to lord it over people, but you are not to do that. The greatest among you shall be the least. And God looks at the king and he says, kings are very, very susceptible to this. So he is going to print out a copy of the law. He's going to write it by his own hand and he's going to read it every day so that he may never forget that he is there to serve his brothers. And he is not to acquire things for himself. It's very easy to. But horses and money and wives, he is not to acquire for himself. It's not for nothing then that we have Saul and we have David and then we get Solomon at the end of Solomon's life, we read this from 1 Kings chapter 10, and we'll select several verses from here. Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. I know we don't make much out of numbers, but that's probably a bad number to start with, right? Like that's, that's a lot of gold, number one. And number two, you could have just thrown another talent in there or taken one out, maybe give it to the poor. Uh, you should probably change that number. Anyways, besides that which came from the explorers and from the business of the merchants and from all the kings of the West and the governors of the land, King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. And he made 300 shields of beaten gold. Three minas of gold went into each shield, and the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. That's an amazing amount of treasure. Chapter 10, verse 26 goes on. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen, and he had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities with the king in Jerusalem. And finally, chapter 11. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn your heart away after other gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Exactly what Deuteronomy 18 pinpoints or Deuteronomy 17, excuse me, pinpoints. 
He multiplied his wives. He multiplied his horses. He multiplied his money and his heart was turned away. You have to be humble so that you can serve the Lord. This works for parents. It works for employers. It works for everything. You are placed in authority not to exercise that authority because you are important. You are placed in authority so that you can serve those who serve you. You can mess this up as a parent. You can mess this up as a boss in two different directions, both of which are just pure selfishness. One is by being too hard on people. One of my favorite passages in Scripture, one of my favorite put-downs in all of Scripture, comes from Solomon's son, Rehoboam. We read of this in 1 Kings 12, beginning in verse 6. King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon his father while he was yet alive, saying, how do you advise me to answer this people? He, he had a difficult situation. He wanted to know, how am I best to win the hearts and minds of my people? What should I do? And the, the elders said to him, if you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus shall you speak to the people who said to you, um, excuse me, thus shall you say to this people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. I have no idea what that's supposed to mean. Solomon wore skinny jeans or something like that. Who knows, but he's, he's basically, my finger is thicker than my dad's thigh. For some reason, that makes him more manly. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. He says, you want to see a man? I will show you what a man is. I will show you how much in authority I am by crushing you. It doesn't end well for him. You can parent like that, you can be an employer like that, and you're doing it only for your own aggrandizement, only because you refuse to humble yourself in authority and you are being disobedient to God in doing so. But you can also be soft. You can refuse to do what is right for your people. You can refuse to do what is right for your kids because you are selfish. This is exactly what happens later on in Kings with King Ahab. Finally, Elijah, who's been a thorn in Ahab's side, shows up and he sees Ahab face to face and Ahab sees him and says to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord your God and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. This is the famous showdown between Elijah and the false prophets where he douses his own wood with water and then calls down fire from heaven upon them. And he looks at Ahab and he blames him, not for being hard upon the people, but for troubling them by not caring about them enough to do what the Lord had commanded him to do. Spare the rod and spoil the child. It's easy, it's easy to not discipline your kids. It's easy to be the good guy and not hold your employees accountable. But you're not doing it for their good. You're doing it for your good. 
You're lazy when you do that, and you're selfish when you do that. You cannot be too hard, and you cannot be too soft, but you must humbly do everything you can to serve those who are under your authority. Third, you are to be generous with authorities. You are to be generous with your authorities. In chapter 18, we read this. The Levitical priests, all the tribe of Levi, shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's food offering as their inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance as he promised them. And this shall be the priest's due from the people, from those offering a sacrifice, whether an ox or a sheep. They shall give to the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks and the stomach, the first fruits of your grain and of your wine and of your oil and the first fleece of your sheep you shall give him. For the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand and minister in the name of the Lord, he and his sons for all time. And if a Levite comes from any of your towns out of Israel where he lives, and he may come when he desires to the place that the Lord will choose and ministers in the name of the Lord his God, like all his fellow Levites who stand to minister there before the Lord, then he may have equal portions to eat besides what he receives from the sale of his patrimony. He says, they don't have an inheritance. The rest of you guys got an inheritance. You belong to the tribe of Gad, you were given land. You belong to Manasseh, you were given land. You belong to Ephraim or you belong to Judah, you got land. The Levites, however, got no land. None was given to them. Instead, their inheritance was part of the sacrifices that were given to the Lord, and it is quite a large part as well. They were to feast on this. This was right in the Lord's eyes for the people of Israel to be immensely, immensely generous to the Levites who were clearly seen as authoritative over them, both as judges, as we read back in chapter 17, and as priests. You were to be generous with authorities. Certainly, if we're going to talk about mothers and fathers, this is one of the emphasis in the New Testament when we talk about something like Mark 7. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees about their traditions. And he says, you guys, for the sake of your traditions, you trample on the word of God. And they say, well, how do we do that? He says, well, what about that whole Corbin business? You, you look at young men and you say, as long as you say that all of your possessions are Corbin and somehow given over to God, you don't need to take care of your mother and your father. So you totally trample on the fifth commandment in order so that they can keep the money to themselves and not honor their mothers and fathers by taking care of them in their old age. He says it's selfish. You are to be giving and caring and in that sense, honoring. When it comes to other authorities, that's clearly not what we're supposed to do. The Bible doesn't hold out that you're supposed to give your boss a Christmas bonus. It kind of works the other way around. But what you can do is also be generous with how you work, with the quality and the quantity of your work, that you work well for them and in that you are incredibly generous to them. This is why in Colossians 3, Paul says that if you are a slave and you are serving a master, you are to work for that master as you work for the Lord. Because of the same thing, just like we talked about before. They are standing as authorities that God has placed in your life. You work for them as for the Lord. And so you are to work generously in all that you do. You are to give generously to those who are authorities. But we are not fools and neither is the word of God. And in all of this, there is one huge, huge problem. And that is authorities are sinful 
decrepit people who will take advantage of you at every single turn. We, we don't need to go very far in our own lives to know this. There are, we've talked about parenting, there are worthless parents out there who not only don't do what is good for their kids, but actively seek to harm them. There are pastors who not only do not feed their flock, but actively fleece their flock to line their own pockets like politicians and judges alongside of them. There are people in authority that abuse that authority continuously and constantly for their own good. What are we supposed to do with them? How are we to handle situations like that? Deuteronomy has an answer for us there as well. We are to be wise in recognizing authority. Be wise in recognizing authority. Chapter 18, verse 15 says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know that the word the Lord, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if that word does not come true or come to pass, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. You see, the people when they were before the mountain and God descended on that mountain and fire backed away from the mountain and they said, Moses, brother, you've got to go up and speak for the Lord because he cannot be with us. He would eat us alive. And God said, this is good. Moses, you come up and you will mediate between me and the people. This is what all authority is, by the way. It is God mediating between him and us. He provides us human authorities because if God were here, he would chew all of us alive. We could not stand before him. And so he places authority in our lives. The question becomes, just like the prophets, how do we know if they're speaking right authority? How do we know if we should recognize them as true prophets or false prophets? The question is, do they do what the Lord your God has commanded you to do? Do they speak the words of God? It's safe to say, if being obedient to any authority makes you disobedient to God, then you are not to recognize his authority because his authority is always, always derivative. It is always derivative from God. And so if they require something out of you that God says is not to be required of you, they are no longer an authority and in that matter, you owe them no honor and no recognition. Likewise, if being disobedient to an authority is in being disobedient is obedience to God. 
then you are to always be obedient to God and be disobedient to the authority because they are not a rightful authority. Those who do not act and speak in the name of the Lord should not be recognized. And as Moses says, you need not be afraid of him. Now, we do need a caution here as well. Just because they're doing something you don't like doesn't mean that they are doing something that God didn't say for them to do, okay? It doesn't mean that you can simply say, well, listen, I really don't like paying taxes. God didn't say we had to, so maybe I could just kind of skip out on that. I don't recognize your authority to tax me. Well, okay, so you don't like the 15 to 20% tax on whatever you're talking about, so that's fine, but you still have to pay it. God has not anywhere specifically told you what you have to pay for taxes or how much countries are allowed to tax you. That is not something where you are being obedient to, be, to God by being disobedient to the nation. However, if that nation stood up and said, you cannot gather with other believers and worship the Lord your God, well then you have to be disobedient to them because they are not speaking under the right authority. So we do need to be wise in recognizing authority, recognizing that it's always derivative, recognizing that anything that authority asks us to do that stands outside the counsel and will of God, which is good for us, we cannot do, for it is not good for us, and we don't ever need to be afraid of those who would require those things out of us. Certainly in all of this, we have talked about, sort of danced around. Even here in Deuteronomy 18, we know that ultimately this prophet that will arise like Moses is Jesus himself. We've talked about this. As we go to Matthew, I've talked sort of ad infinitum about how Matthew pictures Jesus as a new Moses. He is the risen Moses that this is speaking of. This certainly applies to every prophet, but it most assuredly and most pointedly applies to Jesus Christ himself. Christ is not only our ultimate authority, to whom we give the greatest honor and glory. As he says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is not only our greatest authority, but he himself is the greatest example of one who honors authority. Listen to how Philippians 2, 5-8 through 8, talks about God in Jesus Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, or that probably means he didn't use his divinity for his own good, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Thus, Jesus has humble in his authority He doesn't use his divinity to lord it over people. He is God on high, and yet he says, I have come to give my life as a ransom for many. He is not only humble, but he is submissive to God. He looks at God and he says, God, let this cup pass from me, but yet not as I will, let your will be done. He has come to be humble and to serve, and how generously he serves as well. He didn't just come to die, but he came to suffer the ignoble, excruciating, and shameful death on a cross. He was everything that God wants you to be when it comes to dealing with authorities. The only time he crossed authority is when being obedient to them would be disobedient to God. He recognized the rightful authority of men, but he also recognized the ultimate authority of God. 
He is the one that we owe honor to and the one who best displays how we are to bestow that honor. Therefore, all praise and glory is due to him. Let us continue to render that honor to him. It is right that we do so. We model him and render honor and glory to him by the way we live our lives, by the way we treat those who are in authority over us and the way we act when we are in authority over others so that we might fulfill this commandment to honor our mothers and our fathers or, to put it a little bit better, to honor our fathers and our mothers. Let us pray. Father God, you are kind to us in so many ways. The example of Jesus Christ and his ability to honor the authority that you have as he walked this earth. Even with great authority, as he walked, Father, he was humble and served us by giving his own life for our sins that we might be reconciled to you. How are we not to have in our own minds the mind of Jesus Christ who for the sake of others served? Father, so much more should we then serve one another, even those who are in authority. For those whom we are submissive to as they are in authority over us, let us be wise, Father. May your spirit guide us to recognize when being disobedient is really being obedient to you. Let us be wise to recognize the difference between what you have called us to do and what we want to do as well. These are not easy things, Father, and so we pray that your spirit will help us. We also pray, Father, that because Jesus Christ was so humble, so serve-centered, serve that he was willing to give his own life for us, that he has paid such a great ransom for us. We pray, Father, that our praise to him would be true and glorious, that all we have is Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.